Welcome to the Natural History Cupboard. Come on in. And welcome back to the Natural History Cupboard podcast, the place where the weird and wonderful parts of the natural world come together. I'm your host, Gareth, and with me as always are my co-host, Drew. Say hi. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. And Aaron, say hi. Hi. Oh, not going with the Kenobi thing. This Good, week. let's move on. Cool. Okay. <laughs> it was the one week I was prepared. Right, well, what have you two been up to this week? Well, I went camping with my family, so my partner and our daughter, we all packed the car up and went off to Wales to, to go camping. We spent much of our time in, in the Brecon Beacons, where we were woken up every day by Red Kite instead of, uh, instead of jet, or at least I was. The other two snored a lot, but um, got to see a lot of beautiful scenery. Oh, I went to the National Show Caves. In, and Rogoff. Uh, they're, they're amazing. I think you'd you'd love it, Gareth, because they've got all these dinosaur, like life-size dinosaur models and stuff. A lot of them need a little bit of updating in terms of posture. But let me tell you something. Before you say anything, let me tell you something. It just goes to show uh, how good those dinosaur animatronics can look when you actually care about them. (laughs) I think I I vaguely remember as a little kid going to uh, the Danarogoff Caves when we used to, to holiday down in Swansea every year as a, as a little kid. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd have to go back there now to see the place. It's it's beautiful. And the caves are stunning. Uh, and all the people there were really friendly. Yeah, it was lovely. Uh, and uh, I got down the river today to walk one of my client's dogs. And um, I was walking along. I didn't manage to see it. So it's going to sound like kind of fisherman comment. Oh, it was that big. So I didn't see it. But the noise it made and the splash was phenomenal it was underneath the bridge pipe it just went shboosh and it's huge and i'm sure there's a bigger fish down there there's always a bigger fish but yeah i was stood in the uh river for a bit in the wellies not really moving much and there was a fish little fish swimming around my feet which was really cool mm. well, have you seen any fish this week uh no no fish no trout okay no trout no no, no. No, do you list any more? Uh, halibut. No, none of no, none of those either. Like a halibut. Yeah, make it into the um once both on cheese sketch. I didn't see. There's no no. no Venezuelan beaver cheese. No, no, none of that. Why? Well, I haven't had many sort of animal experiences this week, but I did meet Bill Bailey, and uh, cool. Yeah, and. Uh, discussed with him albeit very briefly I, do, I mean i didn't want to bother him too much you know i'm sure he's got better things to do everyone has to be honest and talk to me but um <laughs> he has recently done a walk from heartland which is near the cornwall side of devon mm. um all the way along the south coast up towards coon martin so it's a it's quite an extensive walk he did it for sean Locke, who if people aren't familiar is a um a comedian who um sadly passed away of cancer i believe it was last year yeah just to raise money um but i just asked him how his how his walk went and and he said yeah it was it was very good and uh the end of the walk was towards when it was very very hot um but he did say he saw a lot of butterflies out and about mm. which was very nice but yeah that was my surprise encounter this week speaking of uh of celebrities did anybody try and guess who did that experience with with your wife 
Well, I, I do not actually know myself. And you know what? I probably should have asked. No, but you I don't will know. find. Okay. Huh? You don't I don't know. know. I, th- I no. thought you were being sly and just keeping it from us. No, no, no. I, um, I don't know. Else. So my week this week, I, I spent most of my time out, out in the garden, actually, just gardening. I've, got, I've discovered that I have a multitude of wolf spiders living in the rockery that I've built. I've got a lot of wolf spiders in our garden as well. Yeah, yeah, they really cool. They they do like gravel. It looks like in rocks. Yeah, the moment you walk anywhere near it, you just see this little carpet of wolf spiders just (laughs) disappearing. (laughs) So it's always nice to see. Probably the most exciting thing uh, is I've got my hands on some Wallamai pine cuttings, which I'm trying to propagate. Oh, lovely! I'm hoping one day to get one of them grown. They are my dream tree, as you've probably. Well, you two both certainly know, and uh, you listeners, uh, if you've listened to the episode where I wax lyrical about uh, one of my pines, mm. go listen to um, it actually because it is a very strong episode. I think I, I I'm going to agree. Yeah. yeah. Basically, I got my hands on some information that I didn't have the first time I tried to do cuttings of these that had just appeared on the internet. So, um, yeah, it made the whole process a little easier, and I'm hoping it's going to make the whole process work this time. So, I hope so too, because I remember helping you try to propagate some last time. <laughs> yeah, and it and we we were both disappointed. I feel yeah about that. that yeah, no, that was pure guesswork the first couple of times because the information just wasn't available. Um, what did we try? How did we try and do it? We tried to. We was tried this before to... the internet. No. <laughs> okay. No, it just wasn't easily available. Okay. Right. Well, this week uh, we've got well, news of some naughty seals. Uh, we, we were looking at pandas. I don't know why. I mean, kind of boring animals. That's my opinion. Uh, and we're looking at... Thank you for that. Well, Everybody, I just, you can all skip past my news article if you wish. You've, you've now no, had it's the, interesting because uh, it's paleontology pandas. You've had the um, review. Yeah, I just I think pandas are boring. But uh, we've also got... The Haast eagle, another uh, paleo uh, species. The the real giant eagle from Lord of the Rings, shall we say. Mm. But uh, let's kick things off by getting into the news. It's the news! Right, well, we're into this week's news. Aaron is going to start things off by just just boring us with pandas. <laughs> You're really doubling down on this. <laughs> no, I'm gonna I'm gonna clarify because there's probably a lot of people out there who like pandas. Don't let me I clarify, find, Aaron. Just keep going. Go on. Just go. I it. don't like pandas that much because I find them really boring. But because it's paleo pandas, that's interesting. <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> well, I. I'll just say right now that if, if you want to fast forward five minutes, I will be done by that point and then you won't need to be bored by me any longer, everybody. Because oh. uh, I did say I volunteered to go first, especially after what Gareth said about how boring my article will be. Um, no, pandas are boring. <laughs> so my article is that fossil teeth could represent Europe's last panda species. And you can find this on Natural History Museum online or not if you don't like pandas. <laughs> I will not be looking. <laughs> I will say from the outset that I learned a lot reading this uh, this boring article about a boring animal because uh, I didn't know that pandas 
ever existed in in Europe. So it was news to me. No, me neither. Anyway, cracking on. An ancient European I panda. I find that interesting as well. Oh, <laughs> I find that interesting. I just you know, find modern day no, pandas No, this isn't boring. for you, Gareth. Get out, get out of this section. It's not yours. <laughs> get out. <laughs> <laughs> How you can you, we can mute ourselves? It's a shame we can't deafen Gareth. I can. I'm, I'm the host of this can, whole thing. Can I can we kick him. him out of? The... <laughs> <laughs> he can. He can still. He can still hear us though. Surely. Yeah, he can still hear us. We we need to turn his speakers off whilst we do this article. I, I can't actually unmute him. I have to ask him to unmute himself. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's exactly like that. You have to ask me to unmute myself. <laughs> uh, anyway, that whole like 30 seconds there is probably more exciting than what this is going to be. Anyway, <laughs> an ancient European panda has been described. Well, hey. <laughs> uh, I'm interested. And it was described using a fossilised canine tooth and a fossilised carnassial tooth. Mm. So just for those of you who don't know, when someone says a T-Rex is a carnivore, they mean that a T-Rex is carnivorous in diet, not that it's a carnivore. Because to belong to the order carnivora and be a carnivore, you need to have carnassial teeth. You've got to be a panda. (laughs) These are basically where your molars basically have adapted to becoming very scissor-like so that they can slice through meat with no problem. So this chap, he's been described just on the findings of one of his canine teeth and one and, and one of his carnassial teeth alone. These were uncovered in, in Bulgarian coal deposits, and they now reside in the, the Bulgarian National Museum of Natural History. Whilst the evolutionary history still remains unclear, it's further evidence to the notion that pandas may have, in fact, evolved in Europe, which is the bit that was news to me, because I didn't know that we had any pandas in Europe ever. Mm. But apparently we did, because... Agriarctos Niklovi uh, was first unearthed in the western portion of the Srednagora Mountains in the 70s. It lived around 6 million years ago and grew to sizes comparable to modern-day giant pandas, so around 2 metres in length, and likely ate much softer vegetarians. (laughs) The vegetarians were softer back then, (laughs) much easier to eat. Vegetation! (laughs) much softer vegetation uh, than bamboo, which is, of course, what their extant cousins are famed for chowing down on. However, whilst the two species are closely related, this panda is not a direct ancestor of the giant panda itself. This is particularly exciting for everyone apart from Gareth, uh, because as far as prehistoric mammal discoveries go, not much is actually understood in terms of the familial ties of the panda line, particularly those in Europe, which, again, I did not know existed. And it's very likely uh, that more will soon be unearthed physically and metaphorically that could completely change how we view their evolutionary history. Interestingly, the evolutionary journey of pandas has been a confusing one for us to peg down. First considered to be part of the raccoon group due to similarities of dentition with red pandas, which are definitely not bears, um, the 80s actually gave us the answer we needed through genetic analysis because that revealed that red pandas split from the ancestors of bears about 30 to 50 million years ago, uh, whereas the ancestors of giant pandas specifically evolved some 10 million years later, which would place their lineage as the oldest of the bears. But no one really understands how the pandas of today 
actually came to be. Their ancestors are mostly recognized through dentition or jaw fragments, just like the panda that we're talking about now. And for that reason, they're kind of difficult to place. Dr. Ivan Nikolov was a person to categorize the teeth that inspired this article. And it's his name that is uh, in the scientific name. Uh, he's basically a former paleontologist of the Bulgarian National Museum of Natural History. So yeah, it was given to him as an honor, I suppose. The ability to categorize them as a new species stems from the fact that on comparison to pandas extinct and extant, these teeth were larger with more complex ridges and lobes. Whilst we think of China and giant pandas as eternally connected, the earliest member of their group, called the Aeloropodini, that's the group name, was actually Cretozoiarctos beatrix. Uh, and this fossil was estimated to be about 12 million years old, and it was discovered in Spain. So Spain had pandas. Um, Everyone's got pandas. You have a panda, and Britain has a panda. And, you get a panda. You get a panda. You get a panda. Look under your seats now. There's a panda. There's a panda. Oh, my God, it's going to kill me. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Cre- you Cre- <laughs> Cre- Zoe Arctos Beatrix would suggest that pandas evolved in Europe, but some scientists dispute this, claiming that they belong to a bear lineage that is closely related, but not quite pandas. Um, If we go with the hypothesis that these are indeed pandas, then Agriarctos niclovi, being half the geological age of Cretzoiarctos Beatrix, would be seen as the last of the European pandas. Uh, if you're interested in the species, and um, I'm not named Gareth, um, or the panda group in general, and again, not named Gareth, head over to the Journal of Vertebrate Paleontology to f- view the full description, exciting description, of <laughs> Agriarctos niclovi. Mm. That's the end of that article, thank goodness. <laughs> Would you like to know my random panda fact? The, if it's that they're boring, then we've already heard it. No, yeah. it's not, it's not. The original panda is not the giant panda. Oh, I, I would guess have, I would have because, thought that red panda the giant would have panda's been, still yeah. around today. The, no, the red panda, as in the name panda, was first given to the red panda. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. Yes, yeah, I did. The know giant that, yeah. panda was actually named after the red panda, so we should actually just be calling well, red pandas just pandas. I mean, again, that does make sense because it's basically saying, "Oh, here's a panda. Also, this one's like bigger." Giant. Yeah. <laughs> See now, I like I like red pandas. Red pandas are cool. Yeah, yeah. They're interesting. They're not quite as defined, are they? I think no. <laughs> giant pandas are are interesting in their own right, in a way. Oh, for sure. I, mean, I think they're worthy of a feature. So yeah, well, I think both are the yeah, red panda sure. and a giant yeah, yeah. panda. And I if think, there is uh, any more information on any of the prehistoric ones, it would be really cool to hear about them. Like I, I got to admit, I'm I'm picturing a panda with sort of the EU flag is the patterning. For its eyes, although it's making it look more like a member of Kiss, so wouldn't really work. Mm. <laughs> I thought that. I think that'd be great. A Kiss Panda, <laughs> Kiss Panda, but with an EU flag. <laughs> I was made for loving EU baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Uh, and there it is. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Let's go from the EU and pandas uh, prehistory to um, misbehaving seals in New Zealand. Mm. Put them back up. Get their excitement going again, please. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Seals. Here we go. Come on. Uh, Yeah, so my article is Seal breaks into New Zealand home, traumatizes cat, and hangs out on, uh, I'm going to say sofa here, because I don't like the word couch. (laughs) So, 
yeah i mean th- this one it sounds like oh hey it's just a headline it's fun but i'm actually going to cover this one so the article is on the guardian but it says a curious young seal has been returned to the sea after breaking into a new zealand home harassing the resident cat hanging out about in the hallway for a couple of hours while the children slept upstairs and miraculously ruining absolutely nothing so this happened to the Ross family of Mount Munganui, and they were more than surprised, obviously, to find the New Zealand fur seal in their home, which is about 150 metres from the shore. Phil Ross, who happens to be a marine biologist, said it was unfortunate that he was not actually home at the time. He said, the big joke is that this is really the only family emergency where it would have been useful to have a marine biologist in the house. I really <laughs> miss my time to shine. Uh, Ross said said his uh, his wife Jen rose just before six a.m. on Wednesday to go to the gym. Uh, as she got in the car, something barked from underneath and shuffled away. She thought it was someone's dog and didn't really think too much of it. Why would you think much of someone else's dog in your house? Anyway, uh, she returned at around seven a.m., opened the door to find a cute little seal. It got a bit of a fright and it humped its way down the hallway into the spare room. Ross said the seal had managed to make its way through two cat flaps to get into the home. He believes it encountered the family's territorial cat, Coco, outside, just after Jen had left the property, and had likely been inside for about an hour. He says the cat would have gone to defend its territory, and obviously the seal wasn't as, as intimidated as some dogs are. I'm not sure many cats would try and... I mean, they're big animals. It is a young seal, I suppose, but yeah, it's still quite big. But yeah, so Coco must have bolted around the side of the house into the cat flap, and the seal must have followed her. Who knows why? But the mother then woke their two children and had to come and see their new... Oh, it says their new pet, which is... No. (laughs) (laughs) I think think Paul is probably really rolling his eyes here. Uh, As a marine (laughs) biologist, he's probably absolutely livid that she might have said that. But the seal spent time in the spare room and on the sofa before uh, they managed to usher out the front door and into the garden. And a Department of Conservation ranger turned up at 10am to take the seal back to the sea. 7am to 10am. That's that's good. That's a good response that's, time, actually. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah. That's uh, quicker joined than, in um, for breakfast, I'm guessing. That's much quicker than a lot of A&E waits here in the UK. <laughs> oh, yes. But the seal proved to be polite company, Ross said, and thankfully had not defecated inside. I think we can all appreciate oh. when a guest doesn't defecate inside especially um, any marine mammal because oh yeah that, it would be pretty, pretty bad and the cat had scarpered to the neighbor's house because they didn't want to come back home with a with a seal in it but yeah ross said it was not unusual to see young seals roaming about in an area at this time of year because the young ones uh, were beginning to wean and head out on their own he said i guess like all teenagers they don't necessarily make sensible decisions and then the article finishes by just mentioning that the New Zealand fursal population is making a comeback and recolonizing much of their former range, uh, which is certainly true because they were obliterated really by Europeans yeah. when we when we went over there and well, shot a lot of them, which we like doing. But it says, as cute as they may be, seals can move quickly and can inflict serious injuries if they feel threatened. Oh, yes. And they also carry infectious diseases. The Department of Conservation recommends staying at least 20 meters away not to make loud noises in their presence and to keep dogs and children well out of their way. But yeah, I think that should be said also for the seals here at home. But there we go. That's a nice little article about yeah. the New Zealand fur seal that breaks into a New Zealand home. Uh, for those, anyone who's interested as well in, in pinnipeds or would like to know a little bit more about pinnipeds, quick little bit on fur seals is that they are sort of like middling the way between a true seal and a sea lion, but I believe they're closer to sea lions, aren't they? Yeah, 
because they they walk in a similar fashion. Yeah, and they've got they've and got they are, um, external they are an eared seal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, They're a member of Oratora Day as opposed to Foca Day, Foca Day, whatever it is. There you go. So there we go. He's breaking stuff, wrecking stuff. Well, he didn't break stuff. He didn't break stuff, wreck stuff. He didn't poop. It, it was didn't. Just... No, Drew, you're not you're not getting where I'm going with that. Breaking right. stuff. Uh, hunt for the wilder people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> breaking stuff, knocking over stuff. Yeah, burning like, stuff. Like the Terminator. Yeah, <laughs> I'm more like Sarah Connor than you are. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. It, I had a quick look as to where Mount Manganui is. I think it's on the North Island from what mm-hmm. I've seen. And I think I went past that way when I was in New Zealand. Oh, yeah. Did you go into this house an... as well when you were there? Yeah, we, we went in <laughs> there as well. Just <laughs> in there. Everyone, it's apparently a thing. Everyone Did you defecate there on and... the floor? Yeah, everyone does. It's, <laughs> oh, it's apart like from thing. the seal. <laughs> it's the only one that has manners. But up by that way, there was, uh, I think if I remember correctly, there was a lot of whaling and seal stations okay. where they would, well, basically take full advantage of that. You know, they're all long since gone, thankfully. Mm. There's also a lot of leopard seal sightings around Wellington as well, which is at the bottom of the North Island. Mm. They just turn up and like rest on uh, docks and, and beaches and that, which it's a slightly bit bigger than a... Uh... Yeah, you wouldn't want a leopard seal in your house. No. <laughs> if that goes in there, you just you just move out, I think. Yeah, you leave the house. It's the leopard seal. You, you take what the cat did and you just go to the neighbours and go, okay. <laughs> no, I think the leopard now. seal eats the cat, basically. <laughs> You You have no more cat at that point. Well, let's stay in New Zealand for this because of the creature feature. We're going to be looking at the biggest bird of prey that's ever, the biggest eagle that's ever existed. And we're not talking the ones from the Lord of the Rings here. And before anyone says anything about, shouldn't they have just flown to Mordor on the backs of the eagles? No, you should turn off right now and stop listening to this podcast. No, because because that's that's the most stupid question. (laughs) A fool of a (laughs) tooth. Shouldn't even be a question. Right, I yeah, believe yeah. Tolkien himself put that question to yeah, before he died. He yeah. Yeah. It's in I massive just... red writing in the back of Lord of the Rings. It's, uh, yeah, I think it's on his gravestone. <laughs> <laughs> well, you couldn't fly on this one, but you certainly would have noticed it flying. So let's go into our creature feature, shall we? It's the creature feature. Right, well, we're into this week's creature feature. And like I say, we are still in New Zealand. And what's this now? This is probably like my second or third New Zealand creature, possibly. Definitely done, done Tuatara. You've done yeah. Weta and Tuatara. And this is my third, this is my third species. That's all right. Kakapo, I've said. You've, you've messed up Kakapo. Oh, fourth. Oh, okay. So, for anyone who hasn't oh guessed, God. I do find New Zealand's fauna and flora very, very interesting. I think it's a place I need to end up eventually. Mm. But... This week, we're covering a species of eagle called the Hast Eagle, which is a fantastically gigantic species of eagle. So what we're going to do is, is like you two have done before with various things, I'm going to take you on a, a bit of a trip. I need you two to imagine. You are both humans for this one, so no oh, okay. wasps needed. Um, and the year is 1215 or thereabouts. Both of you are members of a, a Maori tribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've your family and your tribe have basically some of the first people to migrate to the South Island. So the Maori turned up in uh, New Zealand around the 12th century, which is actually quite late on in history when you think of... In terms uh, of colonizing the, and things like yeah, that, yeah, and yeah. movements, yeah. And to 
gained all of the, the sort of culture that they have throughout the North and the South Island in a very, very short period of time is really fascinating. But yeah, so you're, you're one of these first groups of people to have moved to the South Island. You've moved away from the North Island and uh, you, you've basically been setting y- yourself up in this new land. Everything's very, very familiar to the North Island in a lot of ways. It's a little bit less tropical. There are bigger mountains as well. You look around, there are ferns and lots of podocarp trees and lots of basically lush vegetation. In amongst some of these lush uh, areas of vegetation, you'll see lots of different birds. You'll see kakapo, uh, you'll see kia, you'll see kiwi as well, rustling around in the uh, the undergrowth, and weka, another small bird that you'll see rustling around. Uh-huh. At the same time, you're not going to see any mammals Except maybe you might see some species, there's three small species of bat in New Zealand that are slightly confused because they like to uh, fly down onto the ground and scurry around on the ground like the ancestors before they even took flight looking for insects. Uh So these are all the things that you might see. But as uh, a member of one of these tribes, your main food source in a lot of ways, a main protein food source is a really easy thing to try and find. You like to hunt moa, the giant yeah. birds of New Zealand. These birds can stand anywhere to three meters tall uh, and weigh 250 kilos and some of the largest individuals. That's a big bird. And because you are some of the first humans on this island, they've never seen a human. So they're relatively easy for you to catch. You're using spears. You're using rocks, basically things to take these animals down that work relatively easily. So you've just gone into a an open clearing, the two of you, you've just managed to bring down a mower. You've thrown your spears, it's out in the clearing. Which one of you is going to go out there first to uh, to deal the, the killer blow to it? Can, why don't we both, because we can, You can both go out, the, yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah. I'm thinking oh. that myself and Drew might just hang back just a second, make sure there's nothing else coming. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I, to be honest, I'm just going to go for it. Like, not, New Zealand so far has not presented any real danger uh, to me. Yeah. It's all been little birds running around, and uh, <laughs> they've been absolute pushovers. Yeah. Well, Drew, you confidently stride out to yeah. take down your prey. You've you've brought down this mighty mower, yeah. um, and as you sort of stand there about to deal this death blow to the mower, a shadow appears above your head. Oh! God. All of a sudden, you're hit with the, the force. you're hit with the force of a concrete block dropped from an eight-story building snapping your neck almost instantly killing you you. yeah i mean i don't think i felt it no (laughs) basically you've been hit from behind by the hust eagle uh aaron is standing there in the tree line well either delighted the fact his his competition for headhunter has gone and now he is in charge or he could be upset Aaron, how are you feeling at this point? You've just seen Drew completely crumpled to the ground by a giant eagle. Uh, well, devastated because he's not my competition. We could have shared that mower together, his family and my family. Well, but it but... is. But I do think to I do think to myself, damn it, Drew, I told you so. Hang back. <laughs> the, the, there's always a bigger fish. Well, what's Third. happened to Drew may or may not have actually happened. Because we don't have any direct evidence that people have been killed by these birds. However... I'm your evidence, Gareth. <laughs> I'm dead. Tell your story. My um, head has exploded. <laughs> so we do know 
that the Haas Deagle lived in New Zealand and lived on the South Island. This is why you would not be familiar with it, because if you've come from the North Island, there are no fossil remains of it on the North Island. So it would be a completely new bird to you. We also know that people were in the South Island at the same time that the Haas Deagle was there. So humans are relatively small compared to this bird. Moas are relatively large as well. And there's a good chance that at some point it may have happened. So we don't have any direct evidence that this has happened, but it may very well have happened that someone has been taken down by a Haas Deagle. So Drew, you you could be our proof there, our smoking gun. <laughs> the Haas Deagle itself is, uh, it gets the name Hieratus morii. Um, in fact, it's, it's had two scientific names uh, since discovery. Its original scientific name was Harpagornus morii. Harpagornus meaning grappling hook bird, the harpex. Um, it's also, we get harpy eagle as well, mm-hmm. meaning uh, grappling hook as well. Is that what harpy uh, means? They, is that the root? I, it's the root of the Greek word. Okay. Harpex meaning grappling hook, yeah, or hook. Mm-hmm. So, but the uh, the newer name uh, that it was given, uh, Hieratus morii, was basically a reclassification of the bird a while afterwards. So like I say, it lived in the South Island of New Zealand. There hasn't really been any of specimens of it found outside of the South Island. And when it comes to eagles, this is the largest known eagle to have ever existed with an estimated weight of 15 kilos compared to the, uh, the nine kilos of the harpy eagle. So this is a hefty bird. To give you an idea, though, that bird hitting a person at that speed or hitting a, a mower at that speed is enough to do an awful lot of damage. 15 kilos may not seem much, but if you apply that at a great deal of speed with talons at the right place, you end up with a killer blow. Yeah, um, 15, as... 15 kilos is a, a decent bag of like dog or cat food. If that was coming yeah. at you, pretty quick. <laughs> sticks and nails. Sticks and nails on a bag yeah. of dog food and throw it at someone, and now you'll know how it feels to be hit by a, a hast eagle. <laughs> Like I was saying, there is some evidence as to whether this bird actually did prey on humans. Um, in fact, there is a monstrous bird in Maori mythology called the Puakai or the Puakai. Um, I probably totally butchered that name, which is said to just basically be a monstrous bird that attacked people uh, out of nowhere. So there is very much a thought that, you know, it could, it could be that bird of myth coming from a place of reality that has just become mythologized in sort of the the, the Maori culture. So the bird was first discovered by Julius von Haast, which is a fantastic name, and it's obviously where the the eagle gets its name, the Haast eagle. Uh, In 1871, they were actually discovered by the Canterbury Museum's taxidermist, Frederick Richard Fuller. So he's the one who discovered it, but it was actually described by Haast who then gave his name to it. So um, you end up with this, <laughs> with him basically taking the credit. It was found in a, in a marsh that had been drained to use for farmland. Um, the bones themselves were uh, relatively complete because they'd just been sitting in this, this marsh for years. Uh, Haas named the eagle Harpagornis morii after George Henry Moore. So he was the owner of the Glenmark estate where the bones had actually been found. So poor Frederick Richard Fuller, the guy who actually found the bird, gets nothing really hmm. um that's society in a nutshell <laughs> yeah so he he, uh, he gets nothing which uh is the usual sort of victorian way of doing things you know uh, he was probably just some Things uh, haven't well, changed, lowly lowly taxidermist 
so yeah, the, the bones themselves have turned up in lots of different places. You've there've there've been all sorts of different skeletons found. Some of them found high up in mountain caves. Some of them have been found in more marshland as well. In fact, they've been found all over the South Island in various different places. And we're not talking fossils here. We're talking bones because this bird went extinct and lived so recently that some of them are just bones that have been sitting in in caves. Some of them very well preserved as well. And when it comes to uh, the bird itself, there's actually enough to rebuild quite a few of them as full skeletons as well. Uh, In fact, there is only one full skeleton. It's about 99% complete. I believe that's in the Christchurch Museum. So the bird itself, it was first thought to be a scavenger because this is going back down that fantastic Victorian route of all animals from the past were stupid, could not do very much, and were all doomed to extinction anyway, so they may as well have just got on with it and died. <laughs> they basically, they found that the bird has... That seems like the same same opinion they had about the poor. Pretty much, yeah. Just get I, on I with just it. Love, yeah, I would do. I love Again. his Victorian accent. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, like I say... It sounds it, like it some had, of our politicians. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah, this bird had quite today. short wings. And when I say short wings, we're not talking like stubby little wings. This bird could certainly fly. It had a a wingspan of about three meters. That's actually not far off uh, some of the largest birds of prey today. So wedge-tailed eagles are are, are right up there. Stella's sea eagle, which is the heaviest bird of prey, as well as harpy eagles, Philippine monkey eagles. All of these have really quite large wings. But three meters is, you know, it's pretty, pretty big, but it's still, compared to the rest of its body, it's quite small. Um, So it was thought that the bird was actually turning into a flightless bird because it was in New Zealand and all birds in New Zealand, well, a good chunk of birds in New Zealand were were flightless. But this would be a rather rubbish survival strategy for a carnivore. So um, they basically thought this, that it must have been a a scavenger and just sort of roamed around eating bits and pieces off the ground. But of course, you know, they're very, very wrong. They also thought it must have been uh, like say a scavenger like a vulture but it is the apex predator this is the largest carnivorous animal in the entirety of New Zealand at this point until man turned up it is the apex predator so why does it have to be a vulture who's doing the kills if it's not doing the kills and wherever it's been found it's been found associated with moa skeletons as well so wherever they found harst eagles they have found moa skeletons mm. because this is what it was eating this is a like say a huge amount of meat walking around on two legs, covered in feathers, nice and easy to kill, uh, and is the perfect food for them. So why on earth would it be a scavenger when it's you know when it's got everything like that it needs? One final nail in the coffin of the scavenger sort of hypothesis uh, that was put forward is it would have been found literally everywhere. If that was the case, it would have been found on the North Island, the South Island. It would have been found where there weren't mowers. It would have been scavenging on anything and everything so uh, it would have made no sense for it to be found so closely grouped with uh, with where the moa were found as well so what did this bird look like if you imagine an eagle that's pretty much close to what these birds look like uh, they have slightly shorter wings slightly broader wings if anything they have a slightly elongated skull as well so if you imagine the skull length of a normal eagle and just stretch it out a little bit that's what these guys look like, almost a combination between a vulture and an eagle, more towards something like a lammergeier vulture in mm. sort of head shape, I guess. Um, there have been some cave paintings, uh, some very, very old 
depictions that show that the bird might have had a white head or possibly a bald head, which may have been an adaptation to being able to feed inside the carcasses of mowers, but that's still very much up for debate. The body itself had claws. Aaron, you've you've seen a tiger's claws. Yeah, they're, they're huge. Yeah, absolutely massive. Well, these are pretty much the same size as a Amur tiger's claws. Wow. Massive claws. These are talons that are built to dive into flesh and act like grappling hooks and hang on to their prey and, well, bring them down. The birds themselves, like I say, weighed 15 kilos, but were eating 200 kilo mowers. And the way they did this is, well, as we've just shown with Drew being crumpled to the ground in this yeah, clearing, still dead. this is their hunting strategy. These birds would have flown through the trees of sort of forested areas and slammed themselves at full speed into the back end of a mower, hanging on with these massive talons deep into the flesh and even into the bone. And we know this because there have been mower pelvises that have been found that have got holes that match neatly up to the size of where these talons of these birds are. So they're hanging on and they're digging in with these talons and then slowly working their feet around and starting to attack the neck and the head of the bird. So if they're not dying from sort of the initial impact of having this thing hit them uh, with the force of, like say, a concrete block dropped off an eight-story building, they are going down from blood loss and from shock. So uh, they're able to then bring this massive bird down and it's at this point they can pretty much eat unabated. Um, they are alive when they start to eat you. Pretty much. They probably are. So these birds are, like I say, the largest thing around. They could land on the ground and be quite happy to know that only another eagle is going to disturb them. And if they had uh, relatively large territories, there's probably not much chance of them interacting with another one of their, their kind unless they seek them out for breeding. But they can then feed at, uh, at leisure. Now, that elongated skull, that's where this comes into play as well. Unlike most eagles today, if you see an eagle take down prey, it's got to contend with an awful lot of other animals around. So if a golden eagle, say up in Scotland, took down a rabbit or even a deer, and they can bring down things the size of a deer, they then have to watch out because there are foxes around. If it's in North America, there's wolves, there's coyotes. There's bears, all these very large ground mammals that could quite easily come in, just kick the bird off its prey, and that's it. Your meat's gone. So eagles in the rest of the world have to very quickly start eating, and they will eat usually around you know, the eyes, the nose, the mouth. They'll get all the high-value bits of food uh, as quickly as they can because they don't know if they're going to lose their prey any minute now. However, the Haast eagle doesn't have to worry. It can sit there on the ground. It can poke its head into the carcasses. Like I said, it's got that elongated head, so it can feed deep inside the carcass of the mower, getting to all the really nutritious parts and feeding on pretty much whatever it wants, just completely and utterly unabated uh, and able to, to get its fill nice and easily. It probably doesn't even have to worry about getting off the ground if it overstuffs itself as well. So this is a bird that can feed at leisure and do pretty much whatever it wants. It's the top of the, top of the food chain. And that's why, you know, a 15 kilo bird can take down a 200 kilo mower and just feed on, on whatever it wants. So they were, they were proper specialists for uh, being able to feed on things like this. I heard that a 15 kilo canine can take on a probably a 200 <laughs> kilo ostrich. Well, uh, I think... I, I think always want to talk like, that by an expert. 
I think they might be wrong. Oh, okay. That one, yeah. <laughs> I may or may not keep that, and that can go in the bloopers, maybe. <laughs> so, what on earth is this bird related to? Well, for the longest time, it was thought that it must be related to the closest eagles around. And the closest eagles around uh, are things like, or large eagles around, are the wedge-tailed eagle of Australia, which is an incredibly impressive bird. They are Australia's apex aerial predator as well. They actually act as a full-on eagle, but they'll also act as a scavenger as well. And quite often, and I'm going to play the Australia card here, quite often if you drove into the outback, you would quite often see wedge-tailed eagles feeding like crows at the side of the road on roadkill. They will not pass up an easy meal. And farmers do occasionally lose the odd lamb that's sort of a bit sickly out in their their fields. There it is. An eagle. The toys would have a field day with that. (laughs) It does happen. I mean, they are powerful birds. They've been known to take down young kangaroos and, and wallabies as well. So they're an incredibly powerful bird. It's really, an really impressive pretty. animal. Yeah, wedge-tailed eagles look, are uh, the images. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, it's not related to the wedge-tailed eagle at all. The wedge-tailed eagle, it's in the the group Aquila, um, which is the same group as the golden eagle. But this is not the closest relative to the harsh eagle. DNA evidence has actually shown its closest relative to be the much, much smaller, at about a kilo uh, in weight, little eagle which is a very pretty little bird of prey. The little eagle is about the same size as our buzzard uh, in the UK here. Only weighs about a kilo. So what it looks like has happened is this bird, or its relative, has been blown across the Tasman Sea to New Zealand. And it does happen. There are birds from Australia that have been blown across to New Zealand and have ended up living there. So things like Zostrops, which are the, uh, the silver eye, their relatives in New Zealand are from Australia. And the same thing looks to have happened uh, with the little eagle as well. So this bird settled in a land about a million years ago with no big aerial predators to pick on it, really. And it basically dominated. It started to get bigger. And in fact, they gained size so rapidly. It was sort of a tenfold size increase very, very quickly to the point where they became the dominant predator. And there is actually some evidence for a sort of a parallel to this happening in, well, modern times or with an extant species. Uh, And that's the Philippine monkey eagle, which is one of my favorite birds of prey. Absolutely stunning looking bird of prey. I I think I like them more than I like harpy eagles, just purely because of the, the look that they have. So these were once thought to be also related to large eagles, but DNA evidence as well has shown that they're actually related to the much smaller snake eagle, um, which is a a little one kilo-ish eagle that also did the same sort of thing. It's ended up on an island chain, the Philippines, uh, and didn't have any uh, real sort of competition for being top aerial predator and has ended up becoming the biggest eagle on those islands. So it does happen, um, and that seems to be what's happened with the Haast eagle as well. Uh, And they became supreme specialists in hunting moa. However, if evolution and natural history has taught us anything, being a specialist is not a good idea. If you have to choose, be a generalist, because specialists tend to be the ones that perish quite quickly if something goes wrong. So we go back to you, Aaron. As the survivor of this uh, this encounter with this very large eagle, 
you go back to your group, you tell your people about them. They now know that there are big birds here that could quite easily take uh, take them down if that was the case. But you like eating mowers. I do. They're easy to catch. They are. They're tasty. They are. They're, they're a good source of not just food, but the bones can be used for jewelry. They can also have their feathers used for making capes and clothing, all sorts of stuff. So you're not going to give that up just because there's some big eagle that Indeed might come not. and get you. You're now aware of them. You go out and you do what humans do best. You basically arm yourself and let it be known that you're going to, uh, to take these things down. So this is where it starts to become a bit of an issue because you're also eating mowers. You're also fully aware that these birds also on the ground, they're not very dangerous to you. You could probably scare them off. And in fact, you do that. You and your friends, knowing that Drew has fallen in battle to one of these birds, are more than happy to scare these birds away uh, and tell them to, to get lost. You'll steal the bird's kill. And in doing this, you get an easy meal. You've not had to kill the mower. You've not had to do any sort of real work there. You've got the, the eagle to thank for that. And you just haul the carcass away. Because of this, <laughs> Drew is Drew's doing a very good job of pretending to be dead. I've got to say, I'm a little <laughs> bit disappointed in this story. Why is that? Because you set it up and I, I thought, right, we're going to, there's going to be some sort of like agreement, some sort of pact made between human and eagle that, the eagle will swoop down on Maori villages, and as it goes off to the horizon, I will like chuck my spear. It will grab its spear in its talons and hold it as if it's been hit, go down, and then we share. Unfortunately, like, the money this for is it. Dragonheart, and you don't have Pete Postlethwaite with you, <laughs> so uh, he won't shame. be born for another eight hundred years or so, oh. uh, and in a different country. Rest in peace. Um, so <laughs> basically, this goes on. And by the late 13th century, the moa are no more. You've eaten them all. What the basically. hell, Aaron? No moa. <laughs> you have eaten the moa to extinction, uh, essentially. Just me. Just me. Just you. Just you. It's entirely your fault. Essentially, by the 13th, the 13th century, the moa are gone. The fact that I died, clearly Aaron started overeating. Yep. <laughs> it was... I didn't even eat them all, Drew. It's all vengeance kills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the South Island with a spear and a knife chasing these things down. And every well, time I do, I swear your name. <laughs> yeah. Well, Drew. The mower, the mower, like I say, didn't didn't kill Drew. It's a name that works well but, for um, uh, Christ, isn't it? <laughs> but with them gone, it means that you've got to look harder for food. Now, you're ultimately far more adaptable. You have found that you can farm all sorts of different plants. You've brought plants with you from your previous settlements. You've been able to find all sorts of other things to eat. However, the Haast Eagle was a specialist, and it basically relied on having multitudes of mowers to mow down and eat. Mow them down. Mow them down. Without that easy food source or without its food source there, their numbers start to deplete uh, and they start to disappear. And eventually, shortly in the 13th century, they disappear entirely as well to the point where, like I say, we found their skeletons high up on cliffs and areas where they would have lived, probably looking for some of the very last mowers around to eat because they needed this food source to be able to, to survive. It's basically another one of these uh, lessons in, um, in natural history that being a specialist doesn't always pay no. in the long run because you your downfall can come very very quickly 
as soon as that thing you depend on disappears. Yeah, there's um, I think almost everyone would have heard the phrase "jack of all trades, a master of none." Yeah, I don't know if everyone knows that that isn't actually the full phrase. Do you guys know the rest of it? No, I don't actually. Uh, so, jack of all trades, master of none, oftentimes better than a master of one. Ah, it's actually a compliment. Yeah, very true. Oh. But yes, that is the harst eagle, uh, a fantastic species of, of bird that is sadly no longer with us. New Zealand has, has undergone a lot of changes uh, ever since humans first made it there. And as Drew pointed out as well, since Europeans turned up, we made things an awful lot worse um, of by destroying huge <laughs> tracts of the wilderness. In the world. Um, yeah, <laughs> but this is a bird, like I say, that, that so recently went extinct. It is still there in the mind of the culture of the Maori. So um, mm. it's a shame because that would have been an amazing bird to see, the largest eagle that's ever existed flying around, eating. Well, if mowers were still around, that would be an amazing bird to see as well. But there we go. Right, well, let's uh, leave New Zealand for now and head back to our our cupboard, and uh, we'll, we'll find the mailbag there and, and see what we've got going on in there. Bing! You've got mail. Ooh, it's an email. Right, well... We're now back in the cupboard. We've we've now returned from 12th Bing. century New Zealand. I got the. I was actually doing the wrong time. That I don't know if either of you noticed that. I was going to do, 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 do. Oh. and then I realised so I, I kind of petered out quite a bit. We brought Drew back to life as well. Actually, that's the important thing, Aaron. It was yeah. with, with the magic of Harsh Eagle and <laughs> electronic mail. Yeah, that's what's done it. Let's like, have oh, a, a delve in. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. The what you've been user. brought back on, like a ZX <laughs> Spectrum or something? <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Hail Hydra. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's see what uh, emails we've got. Drew, what have we got? So our first question comes to us from Josh. Oh, I've changed. I've changed voice. Yeah. <laughs> um, he asks, <laughs> "What's your favorite house plant?" Hmm. Oh. Well, Drew Aaron, as uh, you can't uh, work out who's who. Drew, um, you guys, you guys go first. are first. I'm just going to see if I can enlist help with this. <laughs> He's going <laughs> to look on the tag as to what his houseplant is, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll go first. Okay. Um, I've got two answers for this because if it's plants that are in my house or my favorite house plant, uh-huh. uh, it's two different things. My favorite house plant is uh, Monstera otherwise known as a Swiss cheese plant, just because I, I really like the look of them, actually. I've got two of them. I've got one behind me at the moment, uh, and I've got one in another room. They're just really, really nice, big green foliage leaves. The oh. other one that is in the house that I quite like is my wall and my pine cuttings, which will eventually, hopefully, go outside of the house. But they're not technically a house plant, I suppose. Oh. Drew, what have you got? I know um... you've got an awful lot of plants at yours. You say I have. I, well, I, I don't own a single one of those plants, but, you know. By proxy. Because Jess will be listening to this, I want to say that those plants do make this house a home, and I do appreciate them. Anyway, we used to have a, a chameleon, and we would always buy her ficus, because, I mean, they can eat them. And I quite liked ficus. I believe it was ficus benjamina. Uh, I don't know. It's just quite a nice-looking nice, quite nice looking plant. It's, it's just very leafy quite small leaves 
but they did I... get quite big, Benjamina, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they well, when they're not being eaten, yeah, they can get quite large. But I I have a particular like of ferns. Um, we mm. used to have a silver lady fern, which was really nice. Sadly, this one also got killed by a pet as well. The cat just kept, for some reason, attacking it. Because for some reason, cats just want to, they see a plant and they go, I mean, I don't even eat you, but you're dead. You're dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you will be soon. Just whilst you've, you've brought it up, you've made me think, actually. Mm. Sitting on my desk at work Definitely. is a plant that Jess gave me, which I really quite like. Oh, yeah. Um, is the Alicosia bambino, hello or hello, hello bambinos? <laughs> the um, arrow plant. That's that's looking really nice. It makes my desk a little bit greener. Oh, I should be very pleased to hear that. Slightly purplier as well. Oh. It's, it's there next to my computer. Hello, computer. Aaron. You're back hello, now from evidently reading what your house plant was. Uh, no, I wasn't reading it actually, <laughs> um, because my my cop out of an answer was going to be that my favourite plant in the house is a lemon tree that we planted from lemons that we consumed as part of our pancakes, um, I think, two years ago. So they're still tiny and nowhere near fruit-bearing. you got the saplings in the house? Yeah, yeah. Oh. oh, wow. I think nice. we have... I think we've got eight. We took, mm. we took the seeds out of the lemons and we sort them out, cleaned them out, off, sorry. And then we... I think we put them in the, in the wardrobe in... Um, damp tissue paper and then we plant them in little pots and we've just moved them into slightly bigger pots i think they're two years old the others are a little bit younger because we uh, had an unfortunate accident with the baby experimenting with peeling leaves yeah the others so but yeah so that was going to be my cop-out answer but what i did i, I just disappeared to see if atta would come on and answer for me in in my stead but she she told me her answer, and her answer is good enough for me because if it makes her happy, then I'm happy, and that is um uh Sansevieria trifasciata, which is a uh, Sansevieria, the black coral variety. Uh, it's mm-hmm. like a spiky plant, dark green with yellowish green bands on it. It looks really cool. We have a few. In fact, is that one in front of me? I don't know. If this is the one. This makes great podcasting. Yeah, podcast <laughs> listeners, that's what yeah. it looks like. Oh, um, yeah. otherwise known as a mother-in-law's tongue. Mother-in-law's tongue, that's yeah. the one. Yeah. Mm. yeah. We've got yeah, we got one of those when uh, with the in with the crafted geckos. I think Jess gave you that one as well. She did. Yeah, and she also does podcasting is a great medium for showing listeners <laughs> what a plant looks like. Yeah. Yeah. It's also does. the same plant that I've got on the windowsill in the kitchen. Divided into three uh, separate plants because it's grown that well. So we've got a wide variety of different things there. Everything from lemon trees and wallamai pines to ficus and cheese plant. So what's our next question? So the next question was from Simon Barnes's seven-year-old who asked, what animal would give you the quickest death and what animal could eat you the fastest? A follow-up question that Simon had was, what is wrong with my child? Um, I think we can say absolutely nothing, nothing. at all. I think kids, nothing. kids love death. Love talking mm. about things that kill things. Mm. And we'll give you the quickest death and what could eat you the fastest. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in. I mm. I had a thought as what I was was thinking earlier, but I've changed my mind based on my creature feature from this week. Mm. I think if a hast eagle hit you at full speed, that's pretty much game it's over quick, pretty quickly. It's quick death. Um, yeah. I mean, should an orca decide that you are a meal? You'd go down in one, wouldn't you? 
I don't know as to whether they'd be able to swallow you, though. Because mm. a blue whale has only got a throat the size of a grapefruit. But blue whales are only plankton, or well, True. Uh, zooplankton and phytoplankton. So, Whereas a, an orca does actually eat meat. So I assume that their their throat is bigger, considerably bigger. You'd certainly go. You'd certainly get killed by it. Yeah. I don't think it'd be quick either. That one. Oh no, I'm not saying quick. I'm that's just saying the bit that eat, I'm struggling it. with. I'm just saying Jaguar. It, it could eat you quick. Uh, eat you that's fast. the thing. Like I thought that the go-to answer for this question, the place where I think almost everyone's minds will go to first, is the cat family, and I don't think mm. it'd be that quick. I, I think you're quicker than most things. I reckon a polar bear could, could yeah, hunt you pretty I was quickly. Polar yeah. bear might be the one. Certainly Depending on where it bites bear, you Maybe well. one of the the larger subspecies of brown bear. Like We're talking like the grizzlies, or if you want to go back along the European cave bears, that kind of thing. Mm. How do we feel about eating you very quickly? I reckon a crocodile could get a human down quite quick. Oh, actually, crocodile might be the quickest. You no, know, they they can't they can't swallow you down quick. That's why they have to Not... break their food into chunks. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah but yeah, it yeah. might be it might but be the in... quickest death. If it in... grabs you, the first thing it does is that is that death roll. Death There's roll. no way you. It doesn't play with you like a cat, and even a bear might be. And it would drown you as well. Bear mind. Mm. I, I think crocodile might certainly Nile crocodile or saltwater crocodile would be the quickest death. I think but great white shark as well fastest. has got to be up there. That will certainly eat you quite quickly. Mm. I don't if, know if it, it doesn't, if it likes quickly. the taste of you, that's the thing. Generally, they don't like the taste of you. I was going to say, oftentimes that's accidental, and they and then deaths yeah. from shark attack are usually from bleed out. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> graphic for a seven-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably what the seven-year-old wants. Uh, obviously, uh, we have we have neglected to um, also think about what animal would have the motive to just kill you immediately. And Hippo. I think I think we all know that that's meerkat. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, potentially be a fast death, but you wouldn't be eaten afterwards. Something like Gareth said, hippo. But I was yeah. thinking bison. Bison, you hippo. Corner a bison and oh, bison uh, and wind it up. There was a video that came out this week of some people pestering bison yet again in Yellowstone National Park and learning the hard oh. way as oh. their child gets thrown through the air as this bison flips the child. Because they thought, you know, let's put our child in the way of this one one ton plus giant animal that's wild. Mm. Yeah. An African well, buffalo, I think, would be another one that would certainly, if it oh, if full force, that's you, you're pretty much game over there. Same with the yeah. giraffe kick. Yeah. Yep. Yep. If it hits um, you in the right place, that's game over pretty quick. And as for eating you, a giraffe's going to struggle. Yeah. <laughs> eating you the quickest. I definitely think uh, crocodiles are probably the fastest to kill you, but to eat you, again, like you said, they can't swallow you. They have to shake you and death roll you enough to break you into yeah, smaller, uh, manageable muscles. chunks. I'm not sure if it, I, I think a crocodile would be quick, but I don't think drowning you or the or even the, the barrel rolls would be quicker than blunt force trauma to the head, which is what you're sort of suggesting with a giraffe kick or something like that. Yeah, that's that's mm. you're straight out pretty much. Um, so there or, has a, or a polar bear might be the quickest. There yeah. has been a case where someone had their face literally bitten off by a hyena. That's game over. <laughs> are there any venoms out there that are almost instantaneous? Ooh, how, cone how shell quick, venom. How quick is yeah. yeah, like that? Or um, that's that uh, paralyzes you pretty quickly. You basically you drown, and I think in your own 
yeah, if, well, I suppose if you were underwater and it happened, you'd, your heart would shut down and you, you basically mm. drown. Mm. Some of the sea snake venom is pretty potent and that'll kill you pretty quickly. Although you really, really got to mess with them. We are sort of suggesting that this animal is just straight out to get you, aren't we? Because <laughs> like bison, for example, are relatively, relatively chill. Yeah, as long as you don't annoy them, they won't annoy you. Yeah, there's, Cape, there's Cape been... Buffalo not so much. So Cape Buffalo yeah. is like the, probably <laughs> the last thing you want to encounter mm-hmm. out in Africa. With snakes, it's, this is the first thing that appeared on... I just typed in fastest acting venom. It mm. says the black mamba, for example, injects up to 12 times the lethal dose for humans in each bite and may bite as many as 12 times in a single attack. So uh, it's 144. Yeah, that's 12 times 12. Yeah, this member has the that fastest active venom of any snake, but humans are much larger than its usual prey, so it would still take you about 20 minutes to die. Oh, right. That's so not that's a ages. nice way to go. So you, no, not a nice way to go, but still not instantaneous. No. Um, I think the thing we can take from all of this is there are a multitude of animals that could kill you. Yes. In a multitude of ways. There are yeah. also ones that will quite happily eat you as well. But as to which one is the the one that's going to do it the quickest without doing some sort of bizarre human trials mm. which <laughs> we're all we feed, up for <laughs> we feed a working out to different animals and see which one gets taken down the fastest i don't think we're ever going to be able to settle this question the only answer i can give you which i've just had to do i've just had to do a really really roundabout google search to get this but if you could Increase the size of a star-nosed mole, mm. <laughs> which you to should. the point where you or I are the size of its normal insect. Yeah, and it could, in theory, chow us down in about two hundred twenty-seven milliseconds. Wow! Well, that's terrifying. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> so go. there you go. There's two things. We'll start two GoFundMe's. There, one to increase the size of Dano's moles, or, to make in- them giant. or decrease our size, I suppose. We'll decrease our size. Yeah, and yep, man ourselves. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and the second GoFundMe we'll start is the uh, let's work this out scientifically as to which animal will kill you the fastest by feeding various people to uh, to animals. We there might be some legal repercussions with that one, but we'll. I don't think so. That's that's what the GoFundMe is for is to you know fund all of the uh, the, yes, the, the, the legal, legal problems, the legal problems, <laughs> and the bail. <laughs> <laughs> I believe we were doing a service, um, you yeah. know. Uh, this is we, science. Yeah, Back at off. its purest, this is science. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way you can do this. Mm. Well, there you go. There's our non-answer, but uh, a fantastic question there. Thank you for the question, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely nothing wrong with you. Absolutely nothing wrong mm. with that question. What, what, what do you think, Simon Barnes' seven-year-old? Yeah. What do you think? Uh, we will yeah, accept we're, we're extinct animals as well. And to kill you the fastest. Yeah. Right, if you too, dear listener, have uh, a question that is is burning away at you like that one as to what animal could eat you the fastest, kill you the fastest, or whether you think Starnos moles should be giant or whether we should be tiny, let us know. You can do that by sending an email to us at thenathistorycupboard at gmail.com uh, or on Twitter or on Facebook. Uh, also on Instagram as well. You can find all those different bits and pieces there. Um, and our Twitter handle is at NH Cupboard. Uh, we're also on TikTok as well. And you can uh, see all the different videos and things that we put up there. My attempts at trying to film kingfishers. 
I will get back and try that one again. But you can also find all of our merchandise on our T-Mill shop, all the different T-shirts that we've got going uh, there at the moment, as well as hoodies. Uh, remember, if you've liked what you've heard, you can leave a review, subscribe, all that sort of good stuff on whatever podcasting service you are listening to us on. Tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell an eagle before it slams into you and eats you like a mower. Write some reviews for us. Yeah. yeah. Be as mean as you like. All those different things. <laughs> tell us your thoughts on mowers. Well, on that, it just leaves me to say a big thank you to my co-hosts. Big thank you, Drew. Uh, you're welcome, Professor. Thank you very much for a lovely lesson today. We learned lots. That's okay. It's a it's a shame you died. Um... It is a shame. <laughs> it is a shame. Yeah. <laughs> but just know that your hypothetical body fed that hypothetical eagle in that hypothetical situation. Mm. Mm. The bird <laughs> went big... extinct in the end anyway, Drew. Yeah, it did. You, yeah. You, you died from you the your revenge. Glad it did. Your death wow. is in vain. <laughs> and a big thank you to you as well, Aaron. Thank you, Gareth. That's for, all right. For sticking around for my boring article about a boring animal. <laughs> well, you know, kind of had to, I suppose. <laughs> and a big thank you uh, to you at home for listening. And we'll see you next time here in the Natural History Cupboard. Bye. Bye. Bye.